0: Rick Meyer. I'm one of the elders here at Christ Community, and uh, I will be reading the scripture this morning, which is Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. If you're using a Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 872. That's Luke 13. Would you please stand? the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground?" And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. You may be seated and contemplate the words of this scripture.
1: Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come from a world of words, steady stream of messages. And because of the volume and the amount, it's sometimes hard for us to filter uh, the most important, the most Im- urgent words. Because we have a constant dialogue, even now, going on in our head. So, would you, by your power, by your spirit, open an avenue? Open a line of communication where we can hear your word this morning. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. On May 31st, 1889, May 31st, 1889, Frank Deckert received an urgent message at his telegraph office near the Conemaugh River in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. The message was this, South Fork Dam, which is 14 miles upstream from Johnstown, the South Fork Dam, liable to break at any time. Notify the people to prepare for the worst. Frank Deckert glanced at the telegraph and later said, I knew it was in regard to the dam, but it created no alarm in my mind. Frank Deckert on the morning of May 31st, or at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on May 31st, received an urgent message, but it caused no alarm in his mind. This morning, we're all Frank Deckert. Jesus is giving us an urgent message. And my prayer is that it creates an alarm in your mind that you don't do what Frank Deckert did, is you see it for a few minutes, for the next 25 minutes, and then you go about your day, and it creates no alarm, no action in your mind. In Luke 13, Jesus was in his final year of public ministry, and as we've said before and will continue to say, there's a sense or a flavor of urgency now in his message. I mean, come follow me, Peter, Is the very beginning, just this wide open invitation. This, this excitement has, has taken on a new flavor. There's a sense of urgency for Jesus. In chapter 12, verse 1, if you look at that with me you see that Jesus is in the midst of a crushing crowd. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling on one another, he begins to say to his disciples. So Jesus' message has gone viral because of the last two years of miracles and teachings. He's making his way to the cross, and thousands of people are gathering near him. And he decides to take this moment to narrow down his focus just to these 12 men And in chapter 12, and we've talked about this the last few weeks, he issues four warnings, four ways that if you're a follower of Jesus, you could derail when Jesus leaves. Hypocrisy, the first derailer for any follower of Christ, just to be an actor. The fear of man, the second one. Third, the worry about wealth. You'd shift your attention from the creator to the created thing. And finally, that you would just fall asleep on Jesus. You just drift away. It had a sense of importance, but somewhere over the life of your journey, you just kind of took the exit and never got back on. Now, in verse 54 of chapter 12, I want you to notice a pivot. He also said to the crowds, you feel that? I, I, I've, been, ha, I've been in this huge crowd, and I've been sort of just singularly focused on these 12 men. And of course, the crowd is overhearing and understanding what Jesus is doing. But now he lifts up his head. Now I'm looking at you. I'm not just looking at these 12 Verse 54 through 56, when you, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming, and so it happens, and when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret this present time? Look, you all, you'd be great at the Weather Channel. I mean, if you're looking for employment, you know how to read the times. You know when it's going to be hot. You know when it's going to, be, when it's going to rain. But somehow, in the very last word here, time, kairos, remember that? It's not a chronological moment. It's a kairos. It's a moment of time has happened. The, the king of the universe has broken into your world, and yet you can't see it. You can read the clouds, you can read the wind, but you can't read the Lord's presence. You don't understand what he's doing. And then Jesus narrows his focus, verse 58, as you go. Now this you in the Greek is singular. So what you're supposed to feel like is Jesus is no longer just addressing the crowd. He's looking at individual faces in the crowd. I want to capture your particular attention. And everybody senses it. He's he's moved off just generally speaking. He's trying to catch everybody's eye. And as you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort. Make every effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. I'm talking to you right now. This is the time. You're walking towards the judge and there's a narrow window of time. And you can settle your account right now. Do it right now, because if we get to the magistrate, I'm telling you, it's not going to look good for you and the judge. So here's a moment of time as we're walking along, as we're on this journey with Jesus. Right now, it's the time to settle your accounts. Make every effort to settle with him. You feel Jesus' sense of urgency. And then, in the middle of this personal eye contact, in this middle of this individualized discussion, chapter 13, verse 1, somebody blurts out a recent news story. Jesus, did you hear about Pilate and what he did with the blood of the Galileans? And we're not exactly sure what happened here, but most scholars would say some Jewish. People were coming down from Galilee, which is the northern part of Israel. And they're coming to some annual uh, temple sacrifice. They're bringing some doves or a goat or whatever they are going to sacrifice in, in commemoration of their sin. And some group of people enter the temple and Pilate gets frustrated. Pilate, the one who crucified Jesus, Pilate, who's really a gruesome figure in church in history. He says, I I just hate the Jewish religion. So I'm going to take these animals and I'm going to slaughter these people. And I'm going to drain the blood out of both, mix them in a bowl, and I'll say, hey, let's let's offer this as sacrifice. This this is gross. Why bring this story up right now? That's the question I had. he's He's in this big crowd. He's talked to his disciples now. He's talking to these individuals, and then the guy says, hey, newsflash, why why do that? I don't know for sure, but this is what I think. I think it's because Jesus is looking into their souls, and he sees they're hypocrites. I think they feel exposed. Like, it was fine when he was talking to the disciples, Or it was fine when he was talking to the crowd because, yeah, he is a hypocrite. But when he started focusing and he looked at me, uh, uh uh-oh, now I'm feeling like I'm being exposed. I'm not just being exposed, I'm being judged. You're not just a hypocrite. You're in trouble because of your your hypocrisy. You're on your way to the judge and you're not ever going to be able to get out now, now, what's one of the common reactions when you feel exposed or judged? Shift topics, right? Shift focus. Like, no, no more attention on me. That's, that's enough, surgeon. Let's, let's move over here and examine someone else's heart. So I think what's happening is I've got to bring up some incredible story to just shift the conversation, And he brings up this news story about the Galileans and Pilate. And we've all learned this strategy, haven't we? You came home. Maybe you didn't. But someone I know came home with a D on the report card. (laughs) Your parents see it, and the volume increases immediately, and the temperature in the home increases immediately. And every person who's gotten a bad grade on a test or report cards knows exactly what to do: is to compare themselves to somebody else worse in the class, right? Mom, Dad, you think a D was bad? You should have seen Paul Phillips's report card. I mean, he got an F. Can you can you believe that? Sh- See, I'm just shifting focus. Yes, I I did made a D, but this guy, he's really a failure. Let's all just focus on Paul for a few minutes. And what does every parent, every good parent say? You know it. I'm not concerned about Paul Phillips, right? I'm concerned about you. And Jesus takes this story, and he's not going to let the person in the crowd hijack this eye-to-eye contact moment. He's going to take this story and say, now I'm going to turn it back around to you. And he doubles down, then in verse 4, he says, well, I heard that story. Did you hear this story? How about the 18 on whom the tower fell? I mean, what do you think of them? Yeah, that's a terrible story about the Galileans. Here's another terrible story about the, the tower. It's a terrible news story, and what do you think? Do you think they were worse offenders than others? Did the people in the Twin Towers that died that day, were they the worst offenders? So you hate it, but somehow, you know, they're getting what they deserve. That's the idea here. The, offend, the word offenders is debtors. They're in a greater debt to God. So maybe they're just getting what they deserve. So it creates a question that we need to ask ourselves. It's being asked in the text. Is personal disaster an accurate gauge of personal sinfulness? You know, you bump your head and what do you say? God, what did I do to deserve that? That's sort of the way we think, that sort of a natural way but is that the way that the best way to think hey this is really happening to you it's terrible Mm, somehow you deserve it that's actually what job's three friends thought if you remember they came to him and said this is terrible job but you must have done something terrible because god doesn't treat good people like this It's very common and jesus answers his own question no If you think that, no, that's not right. Then Jesus pivots from this discussion about terrible things happening in the world to terrible things that might happen to you. You see that? Yes, that's terrible, but I tell you, see, I'm coming back to your eye-to-eye contact. I tell you, unless you repent, you likewise will perish. You think it's terrible that these people got murdered? You think it's terrible that the tower fell on them? Yes, it is, and it might happen to you. I'm not going to let the news hijack this moment, this urgent moment, that if you don't do something now, you might be in great trouble. I'm not going to allow you thinking about other people's perishing I want you to focus on your perishing. John Piper, in his sermon on this text, says, No, their sin wasn't extraordinarily horrible. It was ordinarily horrible. They were no more sinful than you. And if you don't repent, then you will experience a horrible death as well. See, the the crowd wanted to examine the two tragedies and dwell on the sin and punishment for other people. And Jesus said, I want you to dwell on the sin and the tragedy of these people and dwell on your own problems. Read the signs of the times. Right now, Jesus is passing by, even today. We're on our way to... The judge of the universe he, he's he's typed it out in the telegraph message as clear as he can make it repent turn around or perish look back with me to chapter 12 verse 4 and 5 just so we have in mind what jesus is thinking and what the crowds would have been thinking when he talked about perishing I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and afterwards can do nothing more. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after has killed has authority to cast into hell. I tell you, fear him. Jesus is saying people suffer and die in terrible ways in this world. It might be the hands of someone else. It might be a tragedy like a tower falling down. Yet the thing that we need to be afraid of is not either of those two things, but being afraid of meeting somebody, the Lord, who can cast us into hell. So when he's saying to the people, the Jewish people following along with him, saying, don't perish don't perish that's they're thinking of hell here and their particular view of hell is something everyone in the crowd would have understood, and maybe we don't so i want to help you understand what they would have thought when jesus said hell or perishing in jerusalem just outside of jerusalem is an old idol worshiping area it's a valley it's called gehenna g-e-h-e-n-n-a It's the word, the Greek word, for hell. But it's an actual geographic location. It's just outside of Jerusalem. It's, in Jesus' time, a dump. But in Old Testament times, it was a place where the God of Moloch was worshipped. This is gruesome. Just outside of the temple where God reigned is another temple the god of Moloch. It's a big fire pit and the god of Moloch has a human body with outstretched arms that are tilted towards itself and has a bull's head. And to satisfy the god of Moloch, you had to take your newborn child and for the god of Moloch, there was a cutout right here of his abdomen and a roaring fire. Around this statue in this fire pit were trumpeters and drummers. So, this terrible crashing noise. Why? I, when I lay my baby on the iron stretched out arms of Moloch, I cannot hear him or her scream. And the baby would slide or roll into the abdomen of Moloch. When Jesus said, repent or perish, this is what everyone in the crowd thought. I I don't want that. So so this, this is an urgent message. This is not something that you just look at and sort of pass by jesus totally understands the history he's not choosing his words carefully he said right now is the time it's the kairos moment i am passing by i can make restitution for you before the judge do something right now you feel that urgency although there is a terrible sense of urgency jesus reminds us thankfully as these people must have taken a deep breath, there's still mercy available. It's not too late today. So sort of to break the tension, he tells the story. It's a pretty simple parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. A man owns a vineyard. He plants some fig trees there. And he comes seeking fruit on this one fig tree, and he found none. And the worker there, the vine dresser, he approaches and said, Look, I've come here for three years. I come seeking fruit from this tree, but every time I come, I never find any. So let's cut it down, and make room for something else. But the vine dresser says, Sir, let it alone. Just one more year. And I'm going to try to get to the root of the problem. I'm going to dig down. I'm going to go down. And I'm going to get involved literally with his crap. And if you come back and nothing's changed, you can cut it down. The owner comes to a fig tree, and a fig tree, if you don't know, has very big leaves. So, from a distance, it looks like, wow, great, it's fig season. It looks great from a distance, but what happens when the owner got closer? Starts moving the leaves around. Hey, no fruit. What's the point here for the listener? The fig tree is a hypocrite. It looks good on the outside, but it's an actor. Just like you, listener. All leaves, no fruit. If you were in Texas, what would you say? All hat, no cattle. All words, no action. For three years, the owner's come. I mean, he's been patient. He's just looking for some kind of outward identification that the fig tree is really a fig tree. You're supposed to produce figs. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus, you're supposed to produce fruit. Not, not perfectly, but visibly. Jesus doesn't want people who are all leaves and no fruit. One more year, one more year. The parable really doesn't require a lot of explanation. It's not too late. God's mercy is available if we repent, meaning turn around. Even if you're a terrible hypocrite, it's not too late. So repentance is not just saying a prayer. That can be a part of it, but it's it's moving in a different direction. It's not just getting baptized, it's some visible change of direction. Not perfection, but a change of direction. But notice, even in the parable, a sense of urgency. It's only one more year. You're not going to have an endless amount of time. At some point, it will be the last day you have a chance to respond Jesus leaves the parable unfinished. Mm, why, Jesus? Come on, tell us what happens. Why does he do this in so many of his stories? I mean, what do you think? You think the fig tree produced fruit? A couple chapters from here, the parable of the prodigal son. Remember how it ends? The dad comes to the elder brother who's outside the party. Come, come inside. Come inside. End of story. I mean, did the elder brother come inside? Did the fig tree bear fruit? Did the people hearing this repent? They don't know. You don't know. just moves on to the next story. I, I think it's Jesus' way of saying, you put yourself in the story. You heard the story. What What are you going to do? How will you respond? In 1881... Eighteen years, Eight years prior to the Johnstown flood, there was a scare that the dam, the South Fork Dam, was beginning to crumble. So Johnstown, who was in immediate danger, sent experts up to the dam to do some inspection, and here's what they came back with. The dam is perfectly safe, can stand all the pressure that can be brought to bear on it, We do not consider there is cause for alarm, even as in the event of the dam breaking, there's plenty of room for the water to spread out before it reached downtown. The river would rise maybe two feet. No damage would result. I mean, they didn't realize it, but this was a terribly false message. It's very possible you could leave here and you get to hear another message. Ah, it's. Not, I mean, he he's kind of alarming today. Let's pass on that. He's good on other Sundays, but not not this Sunday. I got time. I'm only. I mean, he's probably right, but I need to live some life first, and then I'll ha- I'll get to it later. All all kinds of false messages. On May 31st, 1889, eight years later, after the false inspection, Frank Deckert receives the telegram, South Fork Dam, liable to break, notify the people, prepare for the worst. At 3 p.m., the perfectly safe dam gave way. Here's the report. Most of the people of Johnstown never saw the water coming. They only heard it. The height of the wall of the water was at least 36 feet. Uh, Not two. Because of the speed it had been building as it plunged through the valley, the water struck Johnstown with a terrifying force. The drowning and devastation took the city, and it took about 10 minutes. Estimated dead, 2,200. this morning we are all Frank Deckard as clearly as I could have said it I said as clearly as I can there is an urgent message from Jesus himself I and you are in danger no matter what other message is out there and you and I are all on the same road to see God Almighty And everyone is in trouble. But there's hope. There's mercy right now. But don't wait. Don't pretend like it's no big deal. Don't be a high school junior and think, man, I got plenty of time for this later. That's a false message. You have received it. Will it cause alarm? Will it cause action on your part? I pray that it will. Let's pray together. Lord, you have brought us here, every person here, for this particular message. It was not an accident anyone here showed up this morning. And so I pray for the work that only you can do is to move this message into a heart, into a soul, and help us feel the sense of urgency, especially if we're hypocrites, that we've lived our whole lives in the Christian circles looking good, but really we're not bearing any fruit. Would you awaken us to your voice this morning to respond. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.